I have the privilege of uh, continuing, I, I should say concluding a teaching series that we've been in uh, over the last uh, three weeks, a series that we've simply been calling Go Tell It, A Crash Course in Evangelism. Go Tell It, A Crash Course in Evangelism. And this has been a four-week series on the subject of evangelism. Of course, in four weeks, there's no way we can cover all that there is to say or say all that there is to say or go as deep as we can go on the subject of evangelism, but we wanted to do just a quick crash course, a quick jog through this subject. And evangelism is a medium-sized Christian word that simply means the spreading of the Christian message or the Christian gospel by public preaching and personal witness. Spreading of the Christian gospel by public preaching and personal witness. And so evangelism, as we've said week after week, is how we've all come to know about Jesus. We're all sitting here today, or you're listening to me today, I podcast or on the live stream, because somebody engaged somehow, some way, in some sort of evangelistic effort that caused you to hear and be curious and draw nearer toward the things of God, whether you're walking with Jesus today or you're simply inspecting or checking it out. Somebody's evangelistic effort has caused you to take a step closer, and so this is super important. And if you're wondering why a series on evangelism, it's true that most of us struggle by our own admission. We struggle to consistently and effectively share our faith, share the good news with other people. And the goal of this series is that after we're done, we would have the confidence of Paul in Romans chapter 1 where he says, for I am not what ashamed of the gospel, uh, the good news about Christ, because it's the power of God at work, that we would see the gospel as the power of God at work. And as such, we would have confidence to tell others about Jesus just because we know the Spirit is doing the heavy lifting anyway. It's not our slick words or compelling speech, but it is our obedience and faithfulness to share the good news knowing that the Spirit is already working in the person on the other end of us and that it's the Spirit that will do the heavy lifting. We began this series several weeks ago with a message that centered on step one of evangelism and that is the gospel, the good news. It's good news that all of us have sinned. That's really the bad news, but the good news is that God has made a way for us to make sinners like you and me right with God through Christ, and anyone who would believe on him can have eternal life. That's the square one of evangelism. And we continued this with some this series with some practical steps on evangelism and the knowledge that we're supposed to help facilitate an encounter between God and the person that we're speaking to, the person that's far from him. And last week, last week we drilled down further on this idea of Christian witness. And we further encourage you to tell your story or we further leaned in on the whole tell your story aspect of evangelism because at the center of evangelism is our Christian witness. And I encourage you to believe that you don't have to know everything about the Christian faith in order to begin telling your story and telling other people about what Jesus has done in your life because ultimately your Christian witness is what you have witnessed. What you're sharing is what happened to you, what you saw, what you felt, what you experienced, and therefore what you know. And so Christian witness is super, super important. But if you've delved deeply into the subject, you know that there's at least two important aspects of evangelism. And one preacher summed it up this way. There is a lip aspect and there's a life aspect. Lip and life. And in case I need to explain that to you, lip and life, lip is what we say with our lips. There's no evangelistic opportunities that we don't have to say what we know or say what we believe or say what we experience or say what we know to be true about God. There's a lip component, but there is also a life component. Your Christian witness, your life oftentimes will talk louder than anything you say. We're talking about talking and walking this out. And that whole idea of lip and life is going to be really important for today's sermon because today I want to close this series by focusing on an often underemphasized aspect of evangelism and Christian witness, and that is evangelism at home, particularly as it relates to parenting and raising children. I'm talking about our Christian witness at home. 
where we live with the people who know us best. And put your seatbelt on this morning because it might get a little tight here today. It can be easy to have a good Christian witness when people only see you for a few minutes, right? It can be good to make an impression and to seem like the godliest person on earth when people just interact with you in a small window. It can be easy to idolize the preacher who you see standing up on stage giving a message. It can easy, be easy to pedestalize your leader because you see them at their very best. It can be easy to idolize your favorite author or influencer, but I tell people all the time as a means to myself climb down off of the pedestal that people are prone to put me on, that you are seeing me at the most collected part of my whole week. You will never experience me more collected than when I am standing on this stage. After all, I'm giving you prepared remarks. I've had all week to write this, so don't compare your husband to me. Don't compare your spouse to the first lady. You are observing us at our very best. We're at work. And most of you, not all of you, are your most put together at work. Your hair looks the best, your breath smells the best, you're on your best behavior at work. This is me at work. Oh, but at home. Don't say anything, first lady. Who are you at home, man? I heard somebody say years ago, when the people who know you best respect you the most, then you're doing something right. Hmm? When the people who know you best Typically, those are the people who live with you. When they respect you the most, then you're doing something right. If you were to ask me what my worst nightmare would be, I would have a short list of things. Among them would be uh, an occasion like this where my wife and some of my kids are sitting in here watching me preach. My worst nightmare is for them to look up at me and turn to each other and say, who is that guy? I wish he would come home. We want him at the house. Who is that guy? And don't you laugh because some of your kids look at you the same way because when you hit that door, and we got the students in here, so students, don't get yourself in trouble, but if, if, I'm, if, I'm, if, I'm, if I'm right, just blink, okay? All grouchy in the car, you hit that door. Brother Jones, how you doing? Oh, I'm blessed, I'm highly favored. And your kids are like, who is that? We want him at the house, right? At home, it's a different story. But this is a really important part of the evangelism conversation because evangelism at home, particularly as it relates to our kids, might end up being the most consequential of all of our evangelism efforts. It might end up mattering most because at home, is where the social formation happens, at least the bulk of it. That emotional formation is happening at home and especially spiritual formation of the highest order is happening at home. And some of us has laid spiritual formation at the feet of the person in the kids' church room. And you wanna lay the spiritual formation at the feet of the preacher for your kids. And you say, oh great, Latoya's starting, great. I can lay the, at, the feet, at her feet the spiritual formation of our, no, 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 no. We are helping you. We are partnering with you. We are a part of your village. But guess who God intended to do the heavy lifting? You. Godly parenting is show and tell. And as we talk about evangelism at home, as we conclude this series, I intend to deal primarily with parenting. Now, I know the parenting situations here are really varied. I mean, plenty of biological parents. We've got grandparents, other family members, raising children, foster parents, and just some of you just happen to be a part of the village, various villages around here helping to raise kids. And however you end up influencing 
and discipling children, particularly in a parenting context, this message, this message is for you. It's also not lost on me today that some of our students are listening as well. I'm glad you're here as well as we talk about evangelism at home as we conclude this series. I'm going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Would you meet me there in your Bibles today? Deuteronomy chapter 6. There are Bibles on the edges of your rows. Feel free to use those Bibles today if you want to have a paper copy in your hand. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, by the way, at home that you can understand, you can feel free to take these Bibles uh, as, as a gift from us to you. Feel free to take one with you. You can also interact with the scriptures on your mobile devices, uh, and we'll also be projecting them on the screens. Deuteronomy chapter 6, while you find that, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your faithful love. We thank you for yet another opportunity to uh, come before you today, to worship you, to be in the company and the presence of other like-minded folks as we feast at your table today. Father, we even thank you for the rain. Lord knows our lawns need it. Thank you for even the rain today. And it's just so good to be in your house. Father, would you speak to us today? Would you teach us? Would you help our hearts this morning be soft landing spaces for your truth and your light? Encourage us, challenge us. If we're heading in the wrong direction, Lord, would you steer us in the right direction? Put power on these words, Lord you've given me to speak. Move the preacher out of the way so that your truth and your light might shine through. We ask all these things in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm going to start at verse 1. These are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me, Moses, to teach you. You must obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy, and you and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. Then all will go well with you, and you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home, and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed, and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. Now this is a really helpful uh, passage for us as we engage this subject on evangelism at home. And it's helpful to note that in the chapter preceding this one, God's people of Israel are given the Ten Commandments. These ten principles, these ten sort of guidelines to, li- to base their life on and to govern how they uh, interact with God and how they interact with one another. It's helpful also to remember that God's people had spent many, many years as slaves in Egypt. They had been freed from that slavery, and now they're trying to figure out how to be God's people in a world that doesn't really know or respect their God. And the law, and particularly the commandments, are given to God's people and therefore given to us to help us with that good old-fashioned Christian distinctiveness, right? These are the things that are supposed to help us to stand out and be different in the world that doesn't respect and honor God. Many don't even know God. And so they have been given the Ten Commandments so that they could be distinct in the world that they are about to live in, right? Now, you might look at this and go, man, I never saw this as a parenting text. That's because it's not. This wasn't written merely as instructions for parenting and raising godly children. This was written as instructions on how to be a godly person. I'll say that again. This isn't a classic sort of parenting text, but it was faithful, careful instruction on how to be a godly person. And here's why that is important. If you are a godly person, devoted to God, you will be a godly whatever you put your life to. Right? If you're a godly person, 
and you happen to enter a life of being a painter, guess what? You're going to be a godly painter. And as unspiritual as painting seems, uh, God has called you to go in and out of houses, go in and out of businesses, interacting with all those different kinds of people that your profession will bring you in, in front of. It is important for your Christian witness that you will be a godly that. So whether you're a singer or a coach or a welder or a scientist or a teacher or a chef or a super person who is a stay-at-home parent, whether you're a janitor or short order cook, whether you're a politician or a preacher, God wants you to be a godly that. And so we bring it back to the subject of parenting. We apply this instruction to parenting because it's our parenting that's going to be one of the most consequential jobs in human history because we have the task of raising up children. When the Apostle Paul describes raising children, he instructs parents to raise up kids. I love that language. Another version says to bring them up, to call them higher, to lead them to a place where they're not already going. And as such, this challenge that Moses gives God's people and therefore us in Deuteronomy chapter 6 is fitting and is applicable to those of us who have a hand in raising children, particularly at home. And so there's four things that I see in this text that I want to tease out, four very important things. I'll draw through them as quickly as I can. The first thing I pull out of this text is that uh, we are charged to commit ourselves first to God, to commit ourselves first to God. Now, this has come up several times in this whole evangelism conversation because it's vitally important. It's step one in evangelism because it's true that you can't give away that which you don't have. You cannot give away what you don't have. Now, the real slick ones can try to pretend to do that. But you can only do that for a minute, and you can't give away what you don't have. And this is important because too much of parenting is, hey, go there. D do that. Rather than come here, come with me. You see the difference? The old saying, don't do as I say. No, don't do as I do, do as I say. Sadly, that characterizes a lot of parenting. But Paul says, raise them up, bring them up, which assumes that you are going or you've been where you're trying to take them. And the place that you're trying to take them is faithful commitment to the Lord God. Verse 4 says, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and you must commit yourselves, commit yourselves, commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Now, this is a direct uh, reference to the preceding chapter, uh, verse 7. He says, you must not have any other gods but me. You must not make for yourself any idol of any kind or any image of anything in, in the heavens or earth or in the sea. You must not bow to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affections for any other God. But it gets better. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected. You see that? The entire family is affected, even the children in the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. Let this sink in deep today, friends. The Lord in the opening commandment attacks the root of all of our sin, and that is idolatry. Now, we're tempted to think about idolatry as some shrine with candles and us humming and bowing before something, but in our modern context, our, our, our idols could be anything, anything at all, any person, any place, anything, any created thing 
that is worshipped above the Creator is an idol. It's our issue. And the Lord tells us that your sin, and particularly your idol, whatever it is, does not just affect you, but he says, I lay the sins or the effects of their sin on the parents, on their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generation of those who reject me. Now, some of you go, hmm, that's interesting. But others of you go, mm-hmm, because you're living it right now. Because whatever your mom and daddy was into is all over you. And if you're not afflicted by that same, you know, issue, your life certainly bears the wounds or the impact of their sin, their brokenness, and their dysfunction. Some of you say, I'm in that right now. And God says, if you believe I am who I say I am, this is the starting point. Put me first. Put me first. Now notice what God doesn't say. He doesn't say, just value me. God doesn't say, hey, just make sure I'm on the list of things that you value. Uh, just, if I'm in the top ten, great. <laughs> God says, don't just value me, but prioritize me. And this is, this, is, this is necessary for anybody who seeks to be a true follower of Jesus. Our values and our priorities are two different things. Values are things that are important to you. Priority is the order of your values. And some of you are confused about, I'm going to church my whole life, uh, I, I know about Jesus, I read, but when you, if you really look at the order of your values, God's on the list, he might even be a real close second. But if I've said it once, I've said it a million times, whatever is in that number one spot will always win the day. Will always win the day. And if it's not God, he might as well not be on the list at all. And this is the commandment. Put me first. And it's going to be obvious what you put first because you can measure where you spend your time, you can measure where you spend your talent, and you can measure how you appropriate your treasure or your resource. And you know who has a front row seat to how you manage and how you steward those things? Your kids. Your kids. Is there something going on behind me here? Oh, we got a leak here. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it, son. Your kids. If you want to know, if you put God first, I know who you can ask. <laughs> ask your kids. They will tell you. And if you give them permission, they won't hold back either. That's why you got to give them permission. Just ask them when you get home, what do you think is important to me? What do you think is the most important to me? You say, Daddy, how will we know that? Well, what I spend my time on, what I spend my energy and resource on, they might go over to your nightstand and grab your phone. This is your God, Daddy, right? Or ESPN or whatever you're into, they see it. Let me just also say that this is hard to do, not to have idols, <laughs> to put God first. I just want to say that from time to time because sometimes the preacher can get up here and he can say stuff or she can say stuff and, and it can come, come off as if he doesn't know that this is hard. Trust me, I know because I got work to do in my own life. And if you grab my kids at any moment, they might tell you something based on what they've seen. This is hard work. But it's worth getting right 
because I don't think we'll raise these kids the way they deserve to be raised, the way God wants for us to raise them, if we don't first, what, commit ourselves. And how do we commit ourselves to God? How do we, how do we work that out? Well, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8 says, the beginning of wisdom is what? Fear of the Lord. How do you commit yourself to the Lord? Well, it starts with the fear of him. And I don't mean like, I don't, I'm scared, I don't know if God's going to hug me or hit me kind of fear. I'm talking about reverence. I'm talking about assigning him that weight and reverence and respect that is due to the God that spoke to nothing and created everything that we see. I'm talking about that reverence and the weight that, 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 that makes him qualified to be the person that sits at the number one spot in my life. Fear the Lord. You hear that all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the New Testament. Fear the Lord and the wisdom literature tells that if you want to live a wise life, if you want to live the abundant life, if you want to live the good life, as hard as it is, fear the Lord Commit yourself to him first. It's not easy, but it's necessary. And once you get down to the business of that, the second thing we see in this text is that we're expected to commit our children to the Lord. To commit our children to the Lord. Now, from time to time, you'll see us do child dedications here uh, at the church. And parents will come up here, and they'll dedicate their children to the Lord. Listen, the children half times are baby. They're asleep. They're blowing bubbles. They don't care anything about what we're doing. But this whole notion of committing your child to the Lord has very little to what they will do, but has almost everything to do with how we are choosing and agreeing to raise them to fear the Lord as well, to revere the Lord as well to respect him as well, and to put him in that number one spot against all the things that compete with God for our attention and affection and all the things that will climb out of the woodwork, all the shiny popular things that will compete with God for their affections and their heart. To commit your children to, to the Lord means that you teach them to fear the Lord. You say, preacher, I, I'm having a hard time teaching myself how to fear the Lord. How on earth do I teach somebody else to fear the Lord? Where do I start? That's a really good question. I'm glad you asked it. And here's the answer. How do you teach your children to fear the Lord? Where do you begin? You teach them first to fear you. And again, I'm using this word Fear, not as be afraid of you, but to reverence you and to respect you and to understand the high calling of a parent. And some of you, this is like foreign, this is a foreign conversation because you want to be buddies with your kids. You want to be friends with your kids. You want to be liked by your kids. And for many of you, that's your idol. That you want to be the cool parent. But I think that one of the ways you teach your kids to fear the Lord is you teach them to fear you. Why? Because long before they fear a God that they can't see, they should be instructed to fear their God-given parent that they can see. Now, you clap if you want. This honoring your parents is a commandment given by God. The only one with a promise attached to it, that if you honor the Lord your God, then things will go well with you. But it isn't particularly instinctive, honoring your parents, revering your parents. And kids, I'm talking to you. In our fallenness, in our default sinful state, we desire ultimately to be our own boss and to reject the wisdom and instruction that comes from above. This is our default setting. Now, parents, if you ever wondered, why is parenting so hard? Why would these kids just listen? This makes sense. You talk to other parents, you go, what I'm telling these kids makes sense, right? 
I'm not crazy, right? Why is it so hard? Our default setting, we want to be the boss. And you're never smarter than when you're a kid. You haven't read any books, haven't been anywhere, but somehow you know everything. It's a, it's a, it's a symptom of our fallenness. That's what makes it so hard, which is even more reason why you got to be the parent. And you are worthy of respect and honored. You are worthy to be revered because it's your God-given role. But some of us fall down here. And we can't get to the other part. We can't even get to the discipling part or the instruction part because we haven't taught our kids to fear us and to respect us. The scripture says, Proverbs 13, 24, those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Let that sink in, cool parents. But those who love their children care enough to discipline them, to take their little sinful behinds and aim them at a different trajectory, to take their little sinful wills and bend them to the will of God, presumably because you are following the will of God yourself. Kids don't stumble onto the right path. And if we all just float down the lazy river of life, it always goes down, doesn't it? It never goes up. I don't know about you, but I feared my parents. Because Jean and Rhonda Allison did not play around. If you wanted to get me to straighten up, just, just mention my daddy's name. Just mention his name. There was no talking, talking back. What's that? <laughs> Slamming door. My mother could hear my, my, my sister was like between, there was walls between. She can hear the smack of the teeth. She can hear one of those like from the garage. <laughs> when my daddy came in the room, I would just instinctively straighten up. And every now and then in school, I'd get beside myself and I'd get caught up in what's going on in the class and the teacher would not address the other students. She would say to me, Eugene, that's my name, Eugene, do I need to call the reverend? <laughs> Hundreds of reverends in our city. I knew which reverend she was talking about. Because my father did not play around when it came to discipline. I feared him in all the right ways because he made it clear to me at every turn in my life, we can be friends when you're an adult. But I'm not your buddy. I'm not your pal. Take some of that bass out of your voice when you're talking to me, son. Don't speak to your mother that way. Don't pee all over the seat. Hey, don't touch your sister. Don't yell in my house. Now, was he being a tyrant? No. He was saying, here are the foul lines of life. Do not cost them unless you want to pay the consequence. And my mother, bless her heart, she was not the wait until your father gets home type of mother. She was warm and compassionate and all that stuff, but you did not want to mess with Rhonda Allison. And I had a healthy fear of her to this day. She can call me and get me right. And all of the faithful instruction that they were tasked with teaching me rode on the back of the fact that what they had to say to me wasn't an option. And today's parents just don't, don't seem to roll that way. 
And what suffers is our evangelism efforts toward our kids. Because it's optional. I don't got to do what you say. Or I got five or six times you telling me before I have to do it. I'm trying to make the connection between a kid one day being handed off to the Lord and them listening and responding to your voice when you say something. The two aren't related. My mom would say to me all the time, boy, I don't have time to tell you three and four times to do something because one of these days, a car is going to be coming and I don't have time to explain to you what that car is going to do to your body and bones. I need you to do what I say when I, tell you to, when I tell you to do it. And as you're walking to do what I told you to do, maybe we can discuss it, maybe. And what does she know? That one day the Lord's going to need me to respond to him quickly. I'm going to go, need to be obedient quickly. I need to develop an instinct of obedience toward God. And where that begins, friends is with your parents. I know this is countercultural, but it's totally biblical. Now there's a wacky edge to everything. There's a crazy deep end of the pool to any precept or concept. But the way we teach our kids and commit our kids to God is that we teach them to fear us as we ourselves raise them up in the instruction of the Lord. So we commit ourselves, we commit them, and the third thing I see in this text is that we have to do so by telling them things. Telling them things, this is the lip part. This is the talking part. And some of us can fall down here. Now, the whole realm of this includes discipline, and some of us, when we think about discipline, we think about, yes, Brother Rock, more child spanking, discipline. No, that's just one aspect of discipline. But discipline is discipleship. It's walking with your kids. It's talking them through the high points and the low points. It is correction. It is redirection. And in the span of all of that stuff is, as parents know, a lot of talking. A lot of talking. And the kids are like, yeah, a lot of talking. Can I just give you permission, parents, in case you've grown weary, in case your kids are, are convincing you that you are extra? That's a, <laughs> you are extra, by the way, but it's the job. Right? There's a lot of talking involved in this. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in a way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's training over. If you ever train to do something, there's a lot of repetition, there's a lot of talking, there's a lot of, don't do this, do this, don't do that, oh, good job, oh, no, 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 there's just a lot. And it's necessary, according to the scripture, for children, so that when they get older, they won't depart from this. Now, I think this can be one of the most misunderstood texts in all of the scripture because I used to think that if you train a child up right, then they won't stray. And if they act a fool when they become a teenager, if they act a fool when they get out of your house, then maybe you didn't train them up right. That's what I used to think. I don't think that way anymore. I don't think that this is quite what that means. I'm a PK after all, and I grew up with a bunch of PKs, and I don't think that this is precisely what that means. I think the more accurate interpretation of this passage is when you train your children in the way of the Lord, they will always have it with them. And they can't, they can't unhear what you say to them. They can't unhear what you've spoken to them. They will always have in their toolkit, whether they choose to use them or not, the tools that you've given them, the wisdom that you've given them, the instruction that you've given them, and you always give them something to come back to if they desire to come back to it. 
It's most evident in the story. Some of you know the story of the prodigal son, asked for his inheritance, went off and acted a fool, found themselves eating pig food, and the scripture tells him he came to himself. He got to the end of his rope, he came to himself. What did he come to? He came to all that stuff that had been deposited in him that he couldn't unhear. He couldn't unknow. You understand what I'm saying? There's a whole lot of tell and talking in this whole evangelism at home thing. So talk, talk, talk away. They're going to ask you to be quiet, but don't be quiet. They're going to want to change the subject. Don't change the subject. Jesus, 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 Jesus. And I'm only partly kidding. This takes time. This takes patience. This takes intentionality. This is a daily, hourly, minutely reality that requires our attention. And it requires painstaking repetition. Verse 7, repeat them again and again to your children. See, that's in the Bible. Say it over and over. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road and when you are going into bed and when you are getting up. Talk about this stuff all time. Look, I'm not kidding with you. I struck up a conversation with, this week with one of our, with one of our staff in the, in the office, and, and she said to me, me or is parenting just getting harder? And she remembered, like, growing up, I know my parents would say it's hard, but it seems harder these days. And I said, well, why do you think that is? And she said, <laughs> they've just got access to everything in the palm of their hands. Remember, you had to go somewhere to go somewhere. You had to sneak out. You had to go to the vices. But now, these little phones, the vices come to you. You used to be able to control what influenced your children. You used to be able to have a tight grasp on who talked to them and who influenced them and what ideas and, and concepts that they were entertaining. But it seems that these days, any and everything that they want to see and hear and know it is a few clicks away. And I think this is what one of the staff workers saying. This is why it's making it so hard. Because everybody's got a mic, everybody's got a podcast, everybody's got a YouTube channel. And the voice of the culture is loud and it never stops. And it's repeating and drilling down on all the wrong things. And if it's not wicked and evil and counter to the word of God, it is silly, stupid, empty calories. And if you don't resolve in your heart to say it over and over, Jesus, 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 as a counterweight to the nonsense, as a counterweight to the noise, they don't stand a chance. That's why he said, repeat them again and again to your, to your children. Don't just say don't do that. Why, why can't they do it? Well, because I said so. You know what? I think that that works sometimes, but you're going to have to tie some of these rules to, 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 to the Bible. That's why you got to know it. I tell you, my father was, all, he was always teaching a lesson. It was so annoying at times. Like he never, he never took a day off. And I'm telling you, we're watching the basketball game and we're out shooting hoops and I step out of bounds. He'll say, see, Gino, that's what it's like. Sin, man, sin is out of bounds. <laughs> and at the time, I'm like, well, what, what, this basketball, man, what are you talking about? <laughs> but I'm telling you, that man never took, he never took a day off. 
and he was always tying it to scripture. And they, they, they were very flawed parents, but he, he worked hard to make this make sense to me. You hear what I'm saying to you? He said, say it over and over and over again. I'll, don't look at their face. Deal with the attitudes and disrespect. Because we got to talk about this. You're going to roll your eyes, do it in your room. But we got to talk about this. And I'm drilling down on this man because, because look, my kids don't want to hear half the stuff I had to say. But I didn't want to hear half the stuff my daddy had to say. And my daddy's been dead for over 10 years, but he gets smarter every day, somehow. Because the old man knew what he was talking about. And he would tie what he would teach me to the book, and he would say it over and over and over again, and just some random thing happens, and I go, oh, the old man was right. And my mom would say to me, son, son, you will understand when you get your own. You'll understand when you get your own. You'll understand when you get your own. Mama, I get it. I get it. You got to talk to him. You got to tell him. And you got to surrender to a degree how much you care about how well they think of you. You just really do. Because I don't think you're doing it right if at some point they don't like you that much. Right? And if you've got to be liked, if you've got to be cool, you're going to fail at this because it takes a lot of talking. Second and uh, other side of this coin, fourth thing here is that you don't just tell them, but you show them. And worship team, you can come up as I land the plane. We talked about the lift aspect of this evangelism at home. But how many of you know that none of that matters unless you show them? If your kids don't deem you as a credible witness, then none of this matters. Verse 8 says, tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on your doorposts of your house. I already told you to repeat it to your kids, but so much of what we read today deals with how you steward God's truth and all of this yourself. I've said this before, but every little integrity gap that, I, that, that my parents had, like, I, 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 I saw it, <laughs> right? They were great godly people, but whenever what they did didn't match what they said, I, I saw it. And your kids see it too. My daddy, when he wanted to be done talking to somebody at church, he would say, hey man, I gotta get home and get, help these kids with this homework. <laughs> and of course, the kids, we look at each other and go, dad, you couldn't do this work, you couldn't do this math if you tried, bro. <laughs> but that was his thing. That's how sometimes he got out of a conversation. And guess what? We noticed every time. So daddy, we can't lie, but you, you can't lie. You see that? And my kids are getting to that age where they're, they're calling me on the gaps between what I say and what I show them. And that don't feel good. But I know that I am who I am today because somebody loved me, because somebody attended to me, because somebody took time, and I'm talking about Gene and Rhonda Allison, because they didn't need to be my buddy, they didn't need to be my friend, they took seriously their role and responsibility as parents. They committed themselves to the Lord, they committed us to the Lord, they talked about it a whole lot. 
but I am who I am today because they showed me. They showed me who God was. They showed me what it meant to prioritize godliness and holy living and to walk that out imperfectly. My parents were very imperfect parents. I don't say that with any dishonor. I say that because I'm an imperfect parent. You're an imperfect parent. And I got to watch how an imperfect person who didn't try to pretend to be perfect toward me walks this life out with all the limps that average people have as they walk. John Wimber, the founder of a venue, was often say, don't, don't trust any leader without a limp. And my parents didn't shield the limps. And they showed me how to, as an imperfect pe person, walk this life out with the Lord. They didn't hide from me their mistakes, their issues, but they told me, but more importantly, they showed me. And I think what we're up against right now is that we're not doing enough talking parents and we're certainly not doing enough showing. Now my time is up, but I feel like I, I, need, to, I need to drill down on this. And I feel like the Spirit of the Lord wants to arrest, just arrest just some of the men in the room. Because some of you have left far too much of the heavy lifting of the spiritual formation in your house to, to, to your wives. I've been around church my whole life. And it's not uncommon for the woman to be the person that's getting everybody to church and being the pillar of spirituality in the home. But let me tell you some guys, something happens in a home when a man stands up and says, we're gonna follow the Lord. And I believe that it is true that in this house, there are too many of us who have, have relegated that to our wives. Too much of the showing and the telling and the bringing and the raising up the kids in the instruction of the Lord has been laid at her feet, at her feet. And, and, and I feel like the Lord is, is, is aiming at that in this very moment. And so as we conclude with the final song, for those of you who are parents in the room today, I want you to just do a, a bit of a self-assessment What is the Lord calling you to? What is he pointing out? And how do you need to respond?